0: hey there welcome to the show this is beyond sent I am Andy last this is my show and uh on the program today I'm going to be chatting with dr Stephen novella who is the host of the skeptics guide to the universe so I know this is going to be kind of a maybe a weird one for some of my regular listeners because normally I'm talking to uh, musicians and artists and stuff but uh, the skeptics guide is uh, one of those podcasts that I listen to regularly and it's a place i go to uh, get sort of science news updates and things like that and uh, I found it to be sort of a useful resource so it was cool to be able to talk to him and uh, honestly we just talked for the whole show so I'm probably going to jump right to it uh, maybe we'll just listen to one track and then we'll go uh, right to the interview so I just want to remind everybody that Beyond Synth is brought to you by Zencaster that's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R the easiest way to record your podcast in studio quality sign up using the coupon code beyond synth to receive 20% off. You've heard me talk about it before. I use Zencaster to record the guest conversations on this show. It's a web-based app. It's designed specifically for podcasters, especially when you're recording, you know, different guests or your friends and you live in, like, different cities and you normally use, like, Skype or other programs like that. Zencaster is a way that it actually records the audio from the person's computer who's talking and then uploads that audio to uh, your Dropbox. And I believe you can actually have other storage options as well so basically you get all the the audio streams and it does it all for you and uh, if you use the paid service you can have like just a whole bunch of guests and it just records each uh, person's audio as a separate stream it's really convenient and really cool and as i say i use it for this show And that's uh, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com. And use the code BEYONDSynth to get 20% off. All right. Oh, there's also um, the artist uh, Astral Tales is doing a giveaway for the new album Ray Tracers. And, uh, okay, well, how about this? We'll listen to a song first, and then I'll explain what you gotta do to win the prize. So here's a fun thing. Uh, You know, a few weeks ago, I announced that uh, Michael Oakley was doing that remix competition. Actually, maybe that was like a, a month ago now. All the tracks were picked. So, you know, I was one of the judges along with Michael, obviously, and a few other people. And we listened to like something like 30 submissions or something. Like it was crazy. Like a lot of people submitted tracks and uh, we all voted and they picked, you know, the ones they liked. And I said, you know, maybe I'll play some of the runners up on my show, like the ones that I liked that I sort of voted for. So this was one that I dug. This was um, by Neverman. And this is the Michael Oakley track, Rabbit in the Headlights, the Neverman remix. And that was Rabbit in the Headlights by Michael Oakley. And that is the Neverman remix. That was one of the submissions. It didn't make it to the remix album, but I dug this one. It was in my, I think I had like a top five and we were supposed to eventually like whittle it down to like a top three. And I was like, nope. (laughs) Nope. I'm no fun when people ask me to participate in things. I'm like, don't make me choose, man. But I thought that one was fun. And I'd also like to remind you, fools, that uh, Beyond Synth is also brought to you by Retro Revolutions. So you hear me talk about Retro Revolutions every week. Go check out Retro Revolutions on YouTube, all right? He's a great sponsor to Beyond Synth. Uh, He's a cool guy. He takes old electronics, like old video game consoles and stuff. And mods them and makes new and interesting things out of them. The most current video right now on YouTube is part one of his series where he's creating a a boombox with a PlayStation inside, which is going to be for uh, Mark O'Meara, who you hear uh, on this show every other week. And it looks like it's gonna be a fun little uh, project there. And he just does cool things. So check out Retro Revolutions on YouTube. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Retro Faith Games and on Instagram at Retro Revolutions. Oh, yeah, and if you wanna win. The Astral Tales album. So the deal is this. He says, uh, We are giving away a CD from the new album of Astral Tales called Ray Tracers and three download codes for Bandcamp. To participate, uh, there is a post on the Astral Tales Facebook fan page where you just have to answer this. What's your favorite Astral Tales song? And you have one week to participate. That's exciting. There's like a time limit. So that is uh, facebook.com slash Astral Music. So go there. Uh, you'll find a post, I guess, somewhere on the page. And you just have to, I guess, comment underneath that post and say what your favorite Astral Tales song is. And then you can win some Bandcamp codes or a CD. That's exciting. Remember CDs? Anyways, um, listen, I talked to Steve Novella for almost like two hours. Thing. So we're just going to go right to that now. So uh, here is me chatting with Dr. Stephen Novella. All right. Well, I am here with uh, Stephen Novella, or Dr. Stephen Novella from the uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast.
1: How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. So uh, first off, I guess we'll talk a bit about skepticism in general and how uh, you came to it. I'll say I discovered your podcast relatively late, so maybe only like two years ago. And I went back through like the back catalog. Like I I mentioned to you uh, off air, I'm part of this sort of this scene, which has a lot of uh, people making music. They're in their sort of late 20s, early 30s, uh, mostly male. Uh, That seems to be the way it's sort of skewed. And so my Facebook feed was always filled with a lot of, like, conspiracy stuff. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the thing. It's like young men, you know, like in college get stoned and then they become conspiracy theorists for like a few years. So I I noticed that I just wasn't seeing a counter narrative to that. Like, I really saw a lot of that stuff filling up my feed. And so one day I think someone was posting some gibberish about chemtrails and then someone actually posted like a, actually, this is what they really are sort of thing. And And it had been the first time that I'd actually seen that. You know, someone saying, like, it's a contrail and, like, actually explaining it. And then someone was talking about, you know, what are some good skeptical resources and they mentioned your podcast and then I checked it out and uh, and it's really good. Like, it's just a really informative, useful show. Mm, thanks. I like the format of it. And so then I went back and I was confused for a second because I think I might have just started listening when I think Kara joined the show so then I went and listened to the the back right. episodes and I'm like, wow, who are these people there's all these like different voices and stuff
1: and uh yeah talk to me about uh about what you do yeah well you know to start with the podcast I mean we're, we're approaching 13 years. Uh, so we've been doing it for, for quite some time. So, yeah, it gives us quite a big uh, back catalog, it's 656 episodes, I think, as of this week. We started out just being a regional skeptical group, you know, back in the 90s. And when the whole social media thing hit, you know, I think we, we decided that that's where we needed to go. And it, I think it's been a great thing for, you know, promoting skepticism science and critical thinking it's unfortunately also been a great thing for promoting conspiracy theories and a lot of nonsense yeah. <laughs> so we definitely have our hard work cut out for us I, mean, I think your Facebook experience is pretty typical and you may not realize that you know you were being fed that one narrative because that's what the algorithm does right yeah. it just sort of automatically puts you in an echo chamber somebody has to consciously bring something in you know from the outside yeah what I noticed too though there was there was a point where I didn't even ask for it because I'm not a
0: super conspiracy type dude although I do find those narratives compelling sometimes and what happened was like I was there was at one point where I was like actively like unfollowing people who always posted that stuff and and, because there was a point where you see enough of it that you start to see the trajectory in people you know. Yeah. So it's been my experience that I see someone and I'll see them post one day an article from like Free Thought Project or something. I'm like, okay, you know, and, and it'll be something mild. And then they get into the, you know, 9 11 was a little weird. And then they're full on posting Alex Jones and like aliens run the world shit. And it's like, it's like the same trajectory. Like every time you can slowly see the the seeds of it growing with their first little like questioning the government and all this stuff and then it goes into the full-on right. crazy zone and there was a point where i was like actively going get this shit away from me man like it's just it's just a bummer and then um i would still see that stuff happen like i'd be watching like a cat video on youtube and then they would suggest you know like what happened to building seven like in like the you should watch <laughs> videos and i'm like I'm fucking watching a kitten video. Like, I don't even know, like, why
1: you're doing this to me. You're a conspiracy theorist by association. That must be how it works, right? Yeah. Like, the algorithm? I think so. I mean, they won't tell us how the algorithms actually work, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly uh, not only what you're watching, but they're trying to predict, like, what kind of stuff that you'd be interested in. And uh, it's similar to uh, have you ever. Played that online game where it tries to guess the person that you're thinking of. Like, think of any person in the world, and then it guesses who you're thinking of within like every always an impressively small number of guesses. And it asks questions that you think are unrelated, but it's using an algorithm to winnow down to the answer. And I think it's a similar kind of thing where it's predicting from things that you might not even realize are connected. You know, what kind of videos you might be interested in yeah yeah. so even though it may not be a conscious choice on your part it's sort of pegging you you know pigeonholing you by all of these things you're associated with it's remarkably accurate but but not always obviously there's
0: something else i've noticed about conspiracy stuff which which i find interesting and i know you guys have talked about um there's studies about this about um how your political bias might lead you to believe certain things if it if it means... um Yeah. You know, yeah. And I, I that's something I definitely noticed too, especially with like this, you know, the last election in the States because I'm up in Canada. And I really saw that play out with, you know, there'd be all these wacky things going on about Hillary and stuff and then, you you know, you'd, you'd know the the right-wing people would be like posting that and going like, oh, what about this pizza thing? Whatever the, the hell it was. Yeah, the pizza gate yeah. yeah, and and then you'd have, uh, you know, like the, the, the left-wing people going like, oh, shut up, you know, like what are you doing, believing in conspiracies? Like you're an idiot. And then the second some weird thing comes out about Trump with like, oh, he's got these prostitutes doing all this stuff, then then all the left-wing people started posting that stuff, and I was just like, to me, I was sort of in the middle going like, do you guys not see that you're yeah. doing the exact same thing as each other, and it kind of, it sort of pushed me into a different place, like the past, you know, year or so, it's it's really made me, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not an American, so like, I I have a different sort of political system, but it still, it's put me sort of in the middle, in this weird center where I just see both sides doing these almost playing the same games and not realizing that the other sides are doing it? Yeah.
1: Well, that's the skeptical side, right? Well, people are opportunistic conspiracy theorists. And this is what studies show, that people will tend to accept conspiracies that go along with their ideology, their tribe, their faction, you know, mm-hmm. their political party, etc. But then there are all-purpose conspiracy theorists, people who just believe in every conspiracy, even mutually exclusive conspiracies. You know, uh, like Princess Diana is still alive, but she was killed by a conspiracy. People will believe those two yeah. things and <laughs> them simultaneously, which is amazing. So it's two different things, I think, happening that both may end up with acceptance of a conspiracy theory, on the one hand, is just motivated reasoning. You identify with a certain narrative, a certain tribe, you know, a certain political party, and you hear something that's in line with your group, and you want to accept it, you want to believe in, so you convince yourself that it's true. And, and then, at the other hand, there are people who have just a tendency to believe conspiracies, um, and they will—they're—they're they're not motivated by partisanship, but just by the conspiracy itself. Right. So they tend to believe everything, but both could lead you to believe in specific conspiracies, yeah. You know, there's never, like, there never seems to be a person who's just
0: like, yeah, it's aliens, man, alien abductions all the way. And then you go, like, what about ghosts? And, like, no, no, no ghosts. It's all aliens. Like, it just seems like yeah. when they're in the fucking, when they're, when they're down for aliens, they're down <laughs> for ghosts, they're down for Bigfoot, they're down for Loch Ness, they're down for yeah. reptiles controlling the government. Like, it, it, it never seems to be just one specific thing.
1: Yeah, we call that crank magnetism. And it <laughs> exists not just with conspiracy <laughs> theories, mm. But we also see, like, in the alternative medicine world, if you go for one, you know, woo, pseudoscience, supernatural nonsense, you pretty much go for all of them. Uh, I do think there are flavors of nonsense, if you will. Like, there's the conspiracy theorists. There's the natural is always better kind of people who, who would think that anything natural is good and anything you know, technological or corporate is bad. There are the religious, you know, people who believe in anything that is in line with their general religious beliefs. It doesn't even have to be specific, you know, just sort of generally spiritual. They'll, they'll tend to accept it. The UFO type people, you know, who believe UFO related phenomena. So yeah, I do, they, we do encounter people with different flavors, but it's rare in my experience to have somebody who believes just one, mm-hmm. like just one bit of pseudoscience for some specific reason usually if you're making those kind of mental critical thinking errors you're going to make them over and over again
0: yeah and when you're stuck in that cycle it's hard to you know break out of it i guess but uh uh, listen we gotta listen to some music since this is uh, apparently a music show (laughs) so uh here's a track by alpha interceptor and uh this is dragon And that was Dragon by Alpha Interceptor off the album Dragon. And uh, that was brought to you by my lovely uh, Patreon Pattersons. There's a new donor this week, Format. Uh, thanks, Format, for donating to the show. I think sometimes I see you in the uh, in the Mixler chat room, but uh, thanks for uh, donating to uh, Beyond Synth. Man, it means a lot to me. And, of course, my lovely $25 uh, patrons. There's Clint Dowling, Joey and Kendra, Gregorio Franco, and Chris Dance. Uh, thank you guys for supporting Beyond Synth. And, of course, we are back here with uh, Dr. Steven Novella, the host of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And um, uh, we were talking before about, you know, conspiracy thinking and, you know, uh, critical thinking errors. Yeah. And uh, one thing I noticed in terms of, you know, conspiracy stuff was that, it almost sounded to me like a religion, you know, because I saw these similar patterns. Yeah. But with the conspiracy types, it's like the people who are part of it think that they're smarter than religious people because they would always be like, oh, we've got it all figured out. You know, all the religious people are sheep. And then and then the conspiracy theorists would be, proselytizing about end times Mm -hmm. they would all have literature to point you to or videos to watch like once they were the really indoctrinated ones right they're like you gotta watch zeitgeist you gotta watch this and that and they'll have like documentaries for you to watch they all uh, believe in a all-powerful force that's guiding events but there's also a convoluted reason why you can't see them yeah so like uh, we obviously know the religious one but the conspiracy one was the same way it's like oh but these aliens run the world oh but they're shapeshifters oh that's convenient Mm -hmm. so it's like (laughs) so so you can never prove it and and so I, I thought it was funny that there was all these parallels and meanwhile they thought that they were so clever and had it all figured out I'm
1: like this is just the exact same shit. Like, it's the exact same shit. No, you're right. Yeah, it is. It is the exact same thing. And you, once you've been involved in promoting scientific skepticism for a while, you realize it is the same shit over and over and over again, just with different versions of the, of the same nonsense. And I do, I do think it's a good way to look at it to say it's narratives, right? People have their narrative, which is some overarching way by which they make sense of the world. And the world is, you know, complicated and confusing. So... Mm-hmm. It's understandable that people need to feel some sense of control, and that's what the narrative gives them. But what people don't realize is that when you buy into a narrative, then that becomes a lens through which you see reality. Then it doesn't become a way to explain the world. It controls your understanding of the world. It controls you, and you get lost in the narrative. Mm -hmm. You lose the ability to step outside of it, to evaluate it critically, to evaluate it based upon does it actually comport... With physical evidence, you know, with reality, you lose touch of reality. In a sense, the more all-encompassing the narrative, you know, you know, the more ideological it is, the more of an identity it becomes, and the more of a trap it becomes for you. And as skeptics, we're always trying to break out of our narratives, examine our own narratives, to deconstruct them, and to distance ourselves from them, to not identify with any world views that are going to control how we see the world, but to always you know, back up and try to check what we think against logic and em- empirical evidence. It's hard. That's, I mean, and in a way it's a narrative unto itself, but it's a narrative that's not a narrative, right? It's the only one that tries to deconstruct even itself. So at least you're thinking about thinking, right? Yeah. The metacognition, you're thinking about how you go about deciding what to believe is really real.
0: So when you say, you know, like trying to break out of the, even like your own narratives, how, how difficult do you find it keeping it like not political, especially now when everything like I feel like this past year or year and a half, like things have become like everything's becoming political yeah, there's there's very you can't even like say you don't like a movie without people coming down on you I mean, yeah, I'm talking about Star Wars, but like yeah. you know, there's things right you're you're not allowed to yeah, say yeah. because. There are certain narratives that you know w- whether in the media or wherever and, and I'm noticing it I'm noticing like there's certain things that I kind of can't say or else there's a, this weird uh, attitude everything's been politicized and and I know it's your objective you know with your show and with skepticism in general to sort of keep the politics out but I mean how hard is that
1: it's really hard from from a certain point of view it's not hard from another but it's hard from the point of view of avoiding the perception of being political because politics has infected everything right and even when we think we are just being you know, scientific when we're talking about science and critical thinking other people inject their political views onto that and we find ourselves constantly being embroiled in other people's politics right. uh, it's a little challenging keeping our own politics out of it but we have a formula for doing that there always has to be a skeptical evidence-based scientific critical thinking angle to what we're talking about and we try to factor out any personal ideology mm-hmm. Uh, and we also, you know, we have a range of political approaches on the show, and we keep each other in check to some extent. And then there's an the editorial filter. Sometimes we sort of may break out into politics during our open discussion, and I'll just edit that out, sure, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, in, in the final cut. So, you know, we just try to yeah, edit, edit ourselves and, and in editing the show sort of keep focused on, on the science and the critical thinking and, and not inject anything that's too political. Of course, it's hard to see how your own ideology colors how you think of things. So we're, we're never going to be completely successful at that. But I think the process and the effort is what matters. We're always happy to, to check ourselves and, and to take correction you know, when appropriate. But keeping the perception that we're being political out of it is impossible. And I think like Donald Trump is a perfect example. I th- I have problems with Donald Trump that transcend politics or ideology or party or anything. Sure, You know, the guy's a conspiracy theorist. He's an anti-intellectual. Uh, he does not respect knowledge or expertise or even understand that there is such a thing as knowledge or expertise. And no matter what party he belonged to, those are those are anti-scientific, anti-intellectual things that I think need to be pointed out and opposed. Yeah. But of course, everyone has a very strong political opinion about Donald Trump. And even though I might be criticizing the fact that he's an anti-vaccine loon, <laughs> people take that politically. They, they say, you know, they, all of a sudden, that's suddenly a liberal... You're talking... People, I can't tell you how many times you get emails like you're mentioning all the liberal talking points. He's like, no, we're not, actually. We're just saying this is what the science shows. Yeah. You're interpreting it through your own political filter, but we're just talking about the science. It seems though, yeah, lately people's political radars are like heightened. Oh, yeah.
0: I noticed that too. Like sometimes I'll read your blog. You've got this blog called Neurologica and you post about uh, science news items and stuff and, and comment on them. And I'll read your comments sometimes out of curiosity. And actually you do have some very clever people who like, there's people writing answers to your things that I literally do not understand at all. Like I'm a layman, like there's no denying this. Um, but I'm always curious. Like I like to read things and see what people are saying, but then there's always that idiot where, like you say, you literally just have to say like, Oh, I don't like that. They're cutting science funding or something. And then you'll get somebody like, Oh, anti-Trump. They'll, get all mad at you and stuff and just like I've noticed even with the show that I do here I mean like it's not a political show at all it's mostly silly we talk about movies and video games and there's still been people who've come in with an with an axe to grind the slightest hint that we're going in some sort of political direction yeah. it gets people's you know their their hair up and they just want to they have to jump in and say something and it's frustrating
1: I know but we have to deal with that but part of what we're trying to teach people is how to be not political how to be aware of your own politics and it's amazing how distorted a view of reality people have because of their political ideology and their political affiliation. And it's fun sometimes to, to deconstruct their position. Like We've had people make factual claims to us. They're not even aware that they're making factual claims. These are just things that they assume because of their own confirmation bias. They'll say, you guys always say this, or you never do that, or you know, why are you always focusing on this? And I'm like, okay, you're actually, whether or not you realize that you just made a factual claim mm. and we have data on that. I could go back and look and see exactly." how many times we've discussed X or Y or Z and it turns out you're completely factually wrong mm-hmm. and yet you were certain that you were correct that's a really good lesson in how your own politics created this confirmation bias. How you were seeing the world through that political filter, and so, you know, people often are open to that. At least you know, the people who are listening to our show, that I think they're at least part way there. You know, if you're listening to the show, um, and maybe we're just sort of confronting them with their their sacred cow or their blind spot. You know, mm-hmm. but it's tricky. It is challenging, but it is interesting. And you mentioned my blog. I mean, I definitely have some regular commenters on there. Who, man, do they have a very Very extreme and particular worldview filter through which
2: they are (laughs) seeing.
1: It is unbelievable how much your filter can distort reality. Easy to see it in other people. The trick is to see it in yourself. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Well, look. uh, How about we listen to another song and then uh, we'll uh, chat
0: more with uh, Steve Novella. So here's a track from Eulys. This is from uh, the. Galactic Delivery soundtrack and uh, I finally listened to the whole thing. I know Greg sent me the album a long time ago and he kept on asking me like, have you listened to it yet? And uh, and I didn't uh, because I was busy but I have and I actually really enjoy it. I've listened to it a few times uh, now. It's uh, got some cool sort of ambient uh, cinematic vibes to it which I dig and this is a track called New Galaxies by Eulis. <laughs> That was Euless with the track New Galaxies from the Galactic Delivery soundtrack, and uh, that is brought to you by my lovely uh, Patreon Pattersons. There's Jacob Wick with the 2288, and Frank Skinicki with the 1987, and Chris Saliah Lane with the 1111. And maybe we'll do some uh, some $10 Pattersons. There's Fraser Davidson, and uh, Blake Peterson, and Ken Giroux, and uh, now we are back here with Dr. Steven Novella. And uh, we're talking about skepticism and politics and, and your podcast and your blog. And, and I'm wondering, like, where you find the time to do all of this, you know? Because, like, you're also a doctor, right? I mean,
1: like, yeah. wh- What is your what is your actual job? I'm a neurologist I'm, I'm a full-time faculty at Yale but I'm, I'm a clinical neurologist so I see patients all day teaching residents and students and lecturing occasionally but it's mostly seeing patients and I do some clinical research with my colleagues uh, but not a lot that's not my focus my focus is on teaching and and, uh, and clinical work so yeah that's what that's what I do and then you know my science-based medicine is kind of my the bulk of my academic work you know trying to understand and promote science-based medicine within my profession within academia and within the 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 public at large you know getting full academic credit for doing that is another thing Mm -hmm. it's kind of a a new concept and universities are a little slow you know i think to adopt it but they are coming around they are starting to talk about recognizing newer forms of scholarship like this whole social media thing can that count as scholarship you know they're not they're sort of uncertain about it but uh, they're starting to come around so how long have you been a neurologist for
0: 22 years so what does that actually mean like what is it that you do
1: neurologists are just doctors who specialize in the nervous system so the brain the spinal cord the nerves and muscles I'm subspecialty certified in neuromuscular medicine and headache medicine clinically I do a few different things general neurology which is basically a little of everything uh, about half of what I'm doing right now is migraine you know headache medicine And I still do some neuromuscular medicine. So like when you see patients, are you like, uh, like as part of your thing, then like hooking stuff to their head? Like, how does that work? Uh, I do... Uh, so I order studies like that I don't do I don't perform studies that involve hooking electrodes to people's scalps but that's like an EEG <laughs> I would order that test mm-hmm. I do do uh, electromyography so I do hook up electrodes to people's nerves and muscles and stick needles in them that's part of my training so I do, I do that as a diagnostic procedure and I, I do Botox injections for migraines and other neuromuscular indications how does that work? how does Botox work? yeah it's a really interesting drug actually but it works in a few different ways basically it's blocking the the release of neurotransmitters from various nerves so it could block the connection between between nerves and muscles it can block uh just nerve conduction and it could also block it gets taken up by the brain stem and can block some activity there so we just sort of target which nerves and which muscles you know we need to for the therapeutic effect that we're going for very powerful medicine actually when used properly it's very effective
0: yeah another great use is uh when people put it in their lips.
1: Well, that's, that's Botox Cosmetic. Botox Cosmetic is actually a different product, even though it's the same drug. But just as useful. Well, that's not my area of expertise. That's a dermatologist or, or whatever would do that. I, I never use it for cosmetic purposes. <laughs>
0: It would be funny if you made a mistake, though, and someone's got horrible headaches, and instead you give them those really ridiculous-looking lips.
1: Well, I wouldn't do that, though. No, but, you know, when we do inject it, we try to be cognizant of the cosmetic effects it will have. Uh, but that's a secondary concern. We certainly don't want to have any negative cosmetic effects from what we do. Where would you inject it? Like in their temples? That's what I'm picturing is like a needle to the temple. I mean, for migraines, uh, we do the forehead, the temples, and the back of the neck in some combination. To some extent, it doesn't really matter because part of the effect, it, the, the drug gets trans transferred to the brainstem so it all ends up in the same place and has part of its effect there Uh, some of the effect is you know, locally to, to where we inject. So that it may matter. We're not really sure how much of the benefit in an, individual, in, in an individual patient comes from just injecting somewhere in the head versus injecting this particular you know patch of skin or muscle. Uh, that's why there's always a little bit of uh, an art to knowing where to inject. But we know it works, and it has a good effect in a lot of patients. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's very interesting drug. So how did this then lead to skepticism
0: in the first one not that this particularly did, but like what was it that got you started on the the whole skeptical track?
1: I mean this goes back to to a teenager. You know, as a teenager well guess growing up, my brothers and I, my family really was very interested in both science and science fiction and that included the paranormal, I mean, we watched in search of and You know, anything like that was fascinating to us. Uh, And then just, you know, as I started to study science more and more formally, you know, in high school, then in college, and started to, you know, read a lot more Stephen Jay Gould and Carl Sagan and Isaac Asimov and other writers, start to distinguish real science from pseudoscience. And then once you start to do that, then all the dominoes fall very quickly. You know, then you start to realize, oh, wow, this whole UFO thing is bullshit (laughs) so is ESP that's all bullshit too and it's like well I how could I have believed this for the last 10 years of my life and seen documentary after documentary on television and Presenting this as real, but it's not real. And once you do that, once you then start asking that question, what's really real, and how do we know, and who do I trust? Then you're on your way, right? And that's the way to critical thinking and to scientific skepticism. So that's I started on that path in high school. Probably the first real topic I sunk my teeth into was evolution versus creationism. It's still one of my favorite topics to deal with. And then you know the rest is history, as they say. You know, I, I um, at some point point learned about PSYCOP, you know, now CSI, skeptical inquirer, then I'd be like, "Oh, there's other people who are interested in this too and there's formal movement, you know, organizations, etc." We started the Ness, you know, our or our local group in 1996 and then just went from there. There seems to be this connection with
0: sci-fi and, and these sorts of things. I mean, even sort of yeah. the, the conferences that you go to and stuff or like Dragon Con, you know, like things like that. What do you think that connection is?
1: Cuz there, there does seem to be one. Yeah, I think so. I think it's partly just the demographic. I think there's overlapping demographics. If there's a cognitive or causal connection, it's, I think, the science and science fiction and pseudoscience, right? The word science is in both of those things. Mm-hmm. I like science fiction because it's a thought experiment. It's good storytelling, too. I mean, the really good science fiction is great storytelling. You know, it's storytelling unconstrained by being in the here and now, right? You're not limited by having to tell stories in the real world. You have the rest of the multiverse, you know, in which to tell your story. So it's it's very freeing and I love the thought experiment part of it. Also, I love the aspect of it that I think Carl Sagan really used this well also is that you are able to see things more clearly when you are removed from it. If you're looking at a culture from the outside, you can sort of see things without those filters that you normally have in place. And so science fiction is an opportunity to say, let's look at this culture and look at what they're doing mm-hmm. and see how prejudice works. When you when you see two other people who are prejudiced against each other and you're like, "Oh my god, that's ridiculous." Right. You know, they're the same species. Why are they, you know, it's just it's it's obscene, you know? And then if you could learn lessons that they And you you say, oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of what we do, too. Mm -hmm. I guess other people looking at our situation from the outside are having the same reaction that I'm having looking at this other science fiction culture from the outside. So anyway, just that the possibilities are just fascinating. And I think they, they both share this thinking about thinking and trying to dig down to underlying principles. So if you like that sort of thing, you're probably going to like science and you're going to like science fiction.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Because, I mean, for me, uh, like, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. Oh, yeah. But I'm a classic Doctor Who fan because I sort of, I'm one of those nerds that makes the distinction. Yeah. And I imagine, because you guys talk a lot about Star Trek and maybe it, maybe there's a similar uh, metaphor here, simile or whatever the word I'm looking for. But yeah, because yeah. see, with, uh, <laughs> cause with classic Doctor Who it was very much like science fiction adventure show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, it was very low button. It's a very weird and strange show, but very unique. There's nothing like old Doctor Who. It's bizarre. Whereas new Doctor Who has almost gone into fantasy in a way that sort of bothers me as a classic fan. It's like, you know, with my friends who are really big into Star Trek, for example, when they tell me, you know, what they like about the next generation, I can imagine maybe they have a similar reaction when modern Star Trek is more like an action movie than maybe the thoughtful you know program that dealt with these yeah I hear you right.
1: I hear you yeah there, there's a purist in us I think it's like I grew up on the original series and there's certain things about Star Trek that make it Star Trek mm-hmm. the idea that it's competency porn that the, the people are the Federation officers are the good guys you know they, they're they always they're, they are Boy Scouts you know say what else you might about them. And imagining a Star Trek series where it's a little bit darker or you're breaking some of those classic rules, it can rub you the wrong way. But my approach is always to just be open to new ways of sort of reimagining old fiction. I actually like that too. I like taking old fiction and turning it on its head Mm -hmm. so I can kind of react both ways to things. It's like, yeah, sure. If you you want to do something new and different and unique, with Star Trek, go right ahead. It just better freaking work, man. Right? If you're gonna break the rules, mm-hmm. do it. But it, but you better be good. What I don't like if you if you do it and it's bad, yeah. then <laughs> it just makes it all the worse, you know. So I get it. I used to watch the old Doctor Who too, and it was this campy science fiction awesome but I like the new ones better I have to say when the uh, on the episodes where the writing is really good some episodes are utter crap it really totally depends on the writing when the the, the recent episodes when the writing is good it's great though the classic series of Doctor Who was pretty much like serialized
0: pulp science fiction stuff it wasn't like heavy hitting but it was you know it had this this formula and it obviously it changed because it went for like 26 years there's eras that are better than others and so on whereas I found with the new show there was one of the things I like about the classic show was that it was, it's, it told a straightforward narrative, and when it was over, the show was over. Mm-hmm. And New Doctor Who has a tendency to not deliver a proper ending, and usually they. You, like if you timed an episode out you say you've got 40 minutes which is not long enough to tell a proper story which I've learned now Yeah. they basically introduce a villain and defeat him at the 30 minute mark so that the doctor can go away and have like a, a 6 minute heart to heart with his companion Yeah. and that was like that was the formula when it came back and it was interesting because I was like oh they're you know the old Doctor Who was very much like not an emotional program and they were really trying to you know bring emotion into the show and I thought it, it was effective when it was effective but then it also meant they rushed the science fiction storytelling part you know the what's the villain's mo- motivation and yeah what's the threat and it's just it's it's unfortunate because like the production values are obviously superior there's lots of things going for the new show and i felt especially with the last few seasons i don't know if you're all cut up but yeah as a fan of the show uh, as the classic series, I was so excited for Peter Capaldi because I was like, "This guy is going to be the best Doctor Who ever," and I felt like he was given like some of the worst material I've seen.
1: I, well, I agree with that. I put Peter Capaldi, one of my favorite Doctors. I think only David Tennant. I like better but only because David Tennant had great writing yes, yes. Peter Capaldi's the first, his first season was utter crap second season was better third season was good but it, it's kind of ending just when he's getting his stride I think which is unfortunate although I'm looking forward to the next Doctor I hear what you're saying but like there are some episodes especially I, thought, yeah, I really love the David Tennant uh, seasons like don't blink i mean come on that's an awesome episode
0: yeah blink is in probably everyone's top five of like modern doctor who i mean that one is is uh, really well written but uh hey listen we gotta listen to some more music here and then uh and then we'll keep talking so here's sunset neon uh off the album starlight and this track is called tonight Tonight by Sunset Neon. That one's a pretty bold. I dig songs like that. They make me happy. And that, of course, was brought to you by my lovely uh, Patreon Pattersons, my uh, my $10 Pattersons. There's Martin Larby and Hexenwork, Digital Dreams, Power Loader, Trevor Resnick, Poly Digital, and Elias Garnier. And thank you guys for donating to the show. If you want to support Beyond Synth uh, and help us keep the show coming out on a regular basis, man, it's uh, Patreon.com slash Beyond Synth. And now we are back with Dr steven novella the host of the skeptics guide to the universe and we're talking about sci-fi and modern doctor who and i suppose some of my own you know disappointment with my own expectations which which i guess leads nicely into the new star wars movie because you know like subverted expectations seem to be like was like the buzzword surrounding that movie yeah and like I didn't hate the movie. Yeah. I thought it was fine, but it, it just did weird things. And so. Right. It was hard to, it was hard to voice those opinions online because everyone was either, if you love it, you're a shill for Disney. And if you hate it, you're some racist who doesn't like progress and whatever. And I'm just like, dude, like there were scenes that were legitimately silly and there were scenes that were legitimately cool. And you know, yeah,
1: it was a mixed bag, which is why people react to it differently. My approach to any, you know, science fiction entertainment movies whatever, is to try to enjoy it for what it is and not worry so much about what it isn't, not impose my own expectations onto it. That's why I don't really go with the whole purist Oh, is different from the book. They changed this character. Who gives a crap? It's its own thing. Look at it as its own work of art for what it is, and try to enjoy it. First of all, you'll enjoy your life more if you do that. Mm. But it's okay to be critical of the quality. Again, it, I don't care what they do as long as they do it well. Right? Doesn't have to achieve some kind of abstract ideal about what Star Wars or Star Trek or Doctor Who is supposed to be. Just let it be what it is. You know, if you want to reimagine the vehicle, okay, just do it good job what my nitpicking about star wars was that the storytelling is problematic mm-hmm. and you know the character development is a little problematic as well I don't like the arc, the overarching choices that they made for the trilogy because they're just retreading the same old beats that we had from the first trilogy, and, and it was a lack of courage that I really, that I really didn't like. But given that they made that choice, you know, I think the second movie was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it; it was a fun ride. You know, the, I liked a lot of the things that the characters did. The characters were actually had some bit of an arc to them, and there's a lot to enjoy. And I always make an effort to enjoy the good things and not be bothered by the bad things when I can help it. But sometimes it's too much you know sometimes it's too bad yeah
0: i feel that way about game of thrones like game of thrones is the one where like when people talk about the book being better i'm just like shut the fuck like this is like one of the best tv shows ever made and you're gonna try and ruin it 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 like because it it is one of the best shows ever made and the scope and scale of that show is like off the charts and when someone tries to tell me just like it's amazing oh but in the book they wrapped a chain around and ripped the boat in half i'm like okay you go and read the stupid book yeah and like i'm going to enjoy this amazing tv show like yeah. It just, it, it frustrates me. I think part of my thing with Doctor Who, the new one, is just they, when it goes all whimsical and silly, because I watch a show like Black Mirror, I watch a show like Game of Thrones, and I always I think to myself, like, I wish Doctor Who was performing on this level. Yeah. Because it's my favorite thing, and I want it to still be my favorite thing, but when I watch, like, kind of sophisticated science fiction shows, I'm like ah, oh, why can't Doctor Who be doing this, man? Like, I want to like it as much as this.
1: Yeah, it's okay to be disappointed that it's it. the quality isn't better, because you know, like, like, I wish that too. Like, I would like to see a Star Wars movie with off-the-hook writing. Mm-hmm. Like, really, really good, you know, storytelling. And I haven't had that since... The first, the first one, Vampire Strikes Back, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, all right, Rogue, Rogue One was good. I like that. It, it, again, there was some room for improvement there, but I'm looking forward to the solo episode. The previews are getting me excited. But. I mean, come on. Like, the first trilogy was crap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the first, of prequels. I mean, so many missed opportunities. I think everyone pretty much agrees with that. These last last two were, okay, you know, maybe we're heading in the right direction here, but it's just mediocre. The, the, the writing is really just mediocre. I'd love to see it off the hook, really good quality. That's why, like with Doctor Who. There are some episodes that are just so fantastic, and when you have other episodes that are crappy, it's like, yeah, that was a missed opportunity. That was just, eh. Like, the whole season of Bad Peter Capaldi was very disappointing.
0: With the Peter Capaldi, man, it's just... It's this crazy missed opportunity that I, I found frustrating because... Because he's great. He could have been incredible. Yeah. And I'm watching these shows where he's running around with a bunch of school kids in a forest. I'm like, what is this? And a moon that gave birth to this dragon that... That was the worst. That was the stupidest... To me, I think, what I'm looking forward to with the new season is that they said they're going to be doing 60 minute episodes. Yeah. And I honestly think that there is a there is a nice time frame because since Doctor Who every episode is is introducing a new story and new characters, and I think what I've seen from the new series and my main complaint which is which differs from the old show is like in the in the classic series some of the stories went on too long. Like there'd be six part episodes that in the 70s that yeah. they could have definitely truncated by like an hour. In the new series, there's definitely, there's always shows where I'm like, this needed an extra 20 minutes to help introduce these characters, to make the threat more credible, and then you end up with these stories where the wrap-up is so disappointing. It's like, oh, everybody's dead in the world, how are they going to solve it? And the Doctor just presses a red button and everybody comes back to life again and you're like okay like that's completely unsatisfying like all right yeah in fact it's when you go back to talking about this breaking of the rules my favorite Peter Capaldi episode is the one that as a Doctor Who fan broke a rule that I didn't like but the show was the the best one and that was the um, listen I liked listen Mm -hmm. the one where and I did not like that they went back in time and the doctor like you see the doctor as a boy in a barn like that to me drove me nuts like as a fan of the show I'm like I did not need to see this and I don't think that they should have been able to break that rule but it was the best one like it was it was well done it was directed well but definitely like David Tennant got the best material like he's he's got some solid episodes yeah yeah and then you learn things about yourself too because like as a fan there's this episode where the Cybermen and the Daleks finally fight each other which is a huge nerdy moment for a Doctor Who fan and yet i found myself when i rewatched the episode just watching the scenery says goodbye to rose on the beach yeah well, their relationship was great, and and it was interesting for me as a fan because I'm like, why is this the best part of this show for me? Like, the best part should have been like these iconic villains facing off against each other.
1: But. Well, I think you know, part of this is probably my age. Just so you're mature. I've been a science fiction fan my whole life, and you realize that, yeah, you know, nerdy robot fights and spaceships and space battles and everything that's all good eye candy and it's good background, but it's not enough. It's never going to it's never going to carry a movie or a story. You need good characters and good. Story storytelling. You need to care about these people and what is happening. And then everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else just draws you in more. But you can't get distracted by the eye candy because then it's just empty. The other thing is, you know, with CG and everything, there's so many great eye candy movies out there that it's just, it's old hat now. Like, you know, like the superhero movies, right? You just can't have people you know throwing cities around and blowing stuff up and have it be carry a movie. Mm -hmm. You need to have a plot that's going to be Interesting. I mean, come on. And there's such great. The other thing is, the, the bar is so high now with Game of Thrones. And I mean, we're in the golden age you know, of, of television in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many really and smartly, greatly written series out there, like Breaking Bad. You know, there's so many out there that. I'm sorry, but our expectations are high, man. If you want to capture my attention and keep it, you gotta be freaking good. You can't, you know, serve up crap and, and and hold my attention anymore. There is so much competition out there. I can go on to Netflix or Hulu or you know any of these channels. I have so many things to watch that are so well written, that are so good. Hmm. I mean, you know, come on, you gotta step up or forget about it. I think also the
0: CGI is an issue, and it didn't used to be like I used to
1: see people arguing
0: about the overuse of CGI, and I'm like, nah, man, it's fine. And now I'm starting to feel it. And I am noticing that difference. Like, you know, if you look at superhero movies as an example, so like Doctor Strange, right? Now, obviously, there was was things in Doctor Strange inspired by the movie Inception. Mm -hmm. And even though they were so much more fantastical in Doctor Strange, when I watched that movie, I just thought, holy shit. Like, if I saw this in the 90s when I was in high school, this would have been, like, the coolest movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But it's just another Marvel film, which are fine. I enjoy them. Like, they're enjoyable films. Yeah. I watched Inception. And there's that scene where they're fighting in the hallway and it's rotating, right? It's an amazing sequence because they did it for real, right? They actually rotated a set and they're tied to strings and stuff. And that sequence to me is way more impactful, even though it is just Joseph Gordon-Levitt and some other dude rotating in a hallway, like kind of punching and kicking each other. And then meanwhile I'm watching Doctor Strange and he's folding buildings and it's the same it's the same premise like the buildings are rotating and the people have to like yeah. run up the sides and it's so much more fantastic and at the same time since they all looked weird and rubbery in CGI yeah the scene in Inception is just way more effective because it's just real.
1: They had the exact same reaction. Uh, first of all I like the movie Doctor Strange I like the character mm. and you know love the actor you know of course Cumberbatch uh, and to those particular scenes with the CGI of like the folding, this, the buildings, everything. I thought this is gratuitous eye candy. It really is detracting from my enjoyment of the movie. It's too CGI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just didn't work. I agree. There's a huge missed opportunity with Doctor Strange, too. This is my personal thing. Here you have somebody who's a scientist discovering magic. Now, what are you going to do? Of course he's going to be the best magician because he's going to take a scientific approach to magic. Mm-hmm. And they really glossed over that. They really didn't exploit that angle of why he, this guy suddenly becomes the most powerful wizard in the world. It's because he doesn't think about it like magic. He thinks about it like science. He's going to try to deconstruct it and understand it, and that's going to make him, an order of magnitude, more powerful than somebody who's taking a wide-eyed mystical approach to it. Right. And that was the character. That was the character, and they really just gave that short shrift, I thought. That, that was a really massive missed opportunity with that character but in the end i liked it actually i liked his appearance in the thor movie better than in his own movie right his cameo in thor what i thought was awesome yeah that cameo was fun you know
0: i mean they, they definitely were playing it more for laughs yeah. but uh, you know it worked for me so <laughs> anyway let's uh let's listen to some more music here and then we'll uh keep talking So here is one of my favorites from uh, Gregorio Franco. Uh, This was from Stalker, scenes from a slasher film. And uh, uh, I played this on the show when I had him on, but uh, I enjoy listening to this one. This is The Love Theme by Gregorio Franco. was Gregorio Franco with the love theme Uh, that's one I dig. If you like that, go back and listen to the episode where I had Gregorio on the show, because it was a good time. And uh, that was brought to you by my lovely uh, $10 Pattersons. There's Murat, Playmaker Media, Mike Shima, Ashley Keegan, Greg Smith, Slunks, Joshua Everson, Will Lowe, Winfield, and Colin Bennett. Thank you all for your support. And we're back here with Dr. Steven Novella from The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. You know, we were just talking About Doctor Strange, and I know, and I thought about this because, in terms of movies and entertainment, personally, do you find it tricky watching movies when you have that skeptical eye? You know, because there's a lot of science fiction and stuff where there's always that character who is like the skeptic, except the movie skeptic is the guy that goes in saying like, there's no creature, and then of course we all know there is a creature, so he ends up being like the idiot of the film.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I I totally get annoyed at that, but mainly because it's lazy writing. I have no problem suspending my disbelief and buying into the premise of fiction for enjoyment. Absolutely nothing. I, I love fantasy, love science fiction. It's all good, but that trope of the the skeptic who isn't really a skeptic and just dis- dismisses things or is like pseudo scientific, trying to be scientific but really isn't, and he's just there as a foil for the people who just have to believe. You, know, you just have to have faith. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a tired Hollywood lazy trope. That's really what annoys me about it the most. I mean, the idea that it's anti-skeptical is just an, another layer to it. But again, like I wouldn't mind like you know a movie in which somebody who's like actually a skeptic and knows what they're doing encounters the supernatural. That would actually be interesting to see how that plays out because you know you, it's, it's an interesting thought experiment. How would somebody who actually is a scientist and who separates reality from fiction, who did encounter magic or the supernatural or whatever, how would they react? What would it take to convince them? What would they do to convince themselves? Right. You know, What kind of internal conflict would that cause? That would be fascinating, but that would take some actual understanding of skepticism and science and the whole question of metaphysics and how we know what we know. That would take an intelligent writer, and you so rarely get that in Hollywood. You just get these tired, old, flat, cardboard tropes that's really what i find annoying
0: yeah it's the same for me like what what takes me out of things very quickly is noticing just recycling of patterns especially with dialogue yeah. like hollywood has this fascination with like these phrases that i'll just see in every film and then the second it happens i'm like no i just don't like the laziness like when people say something's going to blow before yeah. it explodes yeah i'm like does anyone ever said that in real life right. like if any it, <laughs> if ever something was about to break or explode in my house or mostly breaks things don't often explode it, you know you just run in a panic and go like just get the fuck out of here like you know that's you don't ever like have some witticism, yeah. you know like well that's that's gonna hurt like you just run for your life you flee or you yell or something and so yeah. there's all these things in movies where they do that i know yeah the movie tropes get really really tiring i'm really tired of the the wilhelm scream i think it was cute oh yeah the wilhelm scream, yeah. it was cute when it was just a lucasfilm thing and you know you yeah. could be a nerd and go hey they they do it in indiana jones and they do it in star wars now every single big budget movie has a Wilhelm scream in it. Yeah. it. I hate it. Every time I hear it now, it just takes me right out of the movie because I'm like, this is like, I know
1: it's like probably every sound editor's rite of passage. Right. They feel proud when they get to shove it in. I mean, if they're just doing it as an homage and they're kind of working it in in a clever ways, okay, that's fine. But yeah, when tropes are just lazy or they're insulting our intelligence. Now, I understand that there's a language that you know directors have and writers have to communicate to the audience and there's a way like, all right, you got the bag and there's the character carrots coming out of the top of it so I know it's a grocery bag right yeah. but it's like really everyone buys carrots with the with the still with the leaves still attached to the top of them and when when you start to notice the tropes they do become annoying and and cuz they are they're more than just efficient way of communicating they're just really lazy mm-hmm. and then they just start to get massively annoying and when those and when they are plot tropes you know just huge plot tropes like when, and somebody pointed out to me a friend of mine pointed out how many movies you can say this about that at the end they were saved by the power of rock and roll (laughs) And, and when you start to think about that like holy shit that trope is so overused it's unbelievable including the latest Star Trek You know, movie where they were literally saved by the power of rock and roll. You start to notice it everywhere. Like you're right. Oh my god, that is such a tired trope. Mm -hmm. But now I can't enjoy any movie that that uses it because it's so overused. Yeah, it's interesting too when you go
0: back and watch old, like when you when you see where certain tropes were created, and that's always interesting too. But mostly the problem is because I'm always watching Hollywood movies. Like I'll sit there and have these conversations with people, and I'm always complaining, like, "What's up with all this predictable shit?" Meanwhile i'm the problem because i'm not watching maybe that interesting science fiction indie film yeah, that you know yeah, had yeah. a low budget and a cool concept i'm not watching that i'm gonna go to the theater and watch you know fucking avengers 10 and then complain that it's just like the other avengers movie like an idiot Whereas it's like well
1: yeah that's true that's why i mean i do try to make an effort i don't now go reflexively see every blockbuster movie there are some that i just have to see but i do try to seek out You know, more obscure, independent, quirky movies. Sometimes I'll watch a movie, I have absolutely no idea what it's about. You gotta look for something different, man, because, yeah, the same old stuff is getting very very tiring. I guess that's why the TV
0: is just this nice relief from movies because like, especially watching Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is like really great too and yeah. just these like wicked dramas. Or Black
1: Mirror, like a show like Black Mirror, I mean the writing in that, you know, is really incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a very thoughtful, intelligently written show. That's what it takes now. You know, I need something like that to really keep me entertained. Yeah, yeah. I just finished this fourth season
0: so I, I'm finally Yeah, it's very good. Cut fourth up. season was very Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it was definitely really cool. Like there's, there's some in there that like are pretty like the what makes seem Scary is how relatable. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Some of them are just like, ugh. How close that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind touching on a few topics quickly. Sure. Uh, uh, skepticism related, although it is fun to talk about movies, but <laughs> I was wondering I, I, I wanted to clarify my thinking on some things. First of all, explain to me I know you guys talk about this all the time on the show and, I,
1: and maybe it's a very simple thing
0: and I always forget, but explain CRISPR to me.
1: Yeah, so CRISPR is a way of making specific changes to DNA or RNA actually as well now. And what essentially, its this is a system that we discovered in bacteria. Bacteria use this as part of their immune system against viruses, would you basically have a piece that will attach to a specific sequence of DNA, and then it could splice out a specific base pair and replace it with something else. So it's essentially an evolved system that we've now learned how to co-opt for making specific edits to editing DNA. And so because of its specificity, like you, you can create these carriers and they can change like every DNA in an organism, you know, not just one strand of DNA, but it could seek out and make changes to different locations, different cells in an organism, for example. So essentially it has made gene editing cheap, fast, and available to like any lab who wants it. You don't need uh, millions of dollars worth of equipment. It doesn't take months to do it. It's not really highly technically challenging. A lab with very little funding can get up and running on CRISPR very quickly. So it's just lowered the bar tremendously for not only genetic research, but for creating genetically modified organisms and who knows you know, what other applications.
0: So you can edit some DNA and then put it into an organism and then that will somehow change
1: the rest of the DNA? Or you, know, you, you do it in the organism itself even. You don't have to like take it out, change it, and put it back in. You could just inject it into an organism, and it will edit it. You could also, of course, do it in in cells, like you can do it in embryos, or, or you do it in individual cell lines. But the idea is that you could even do it in organisms. You know, like you could have, they they used CRISPR to treat. Uh, a genetic illness in an embryo, for example. One of the goals in terms of applications is to treat genetic diseases, you know, and even in adults. You know, if we could swap out enough of your bad genes for good genes, it might actually mitigate or, or cure the effects of a genetic illness, for example.
0: Is the name CRISPR significant? Is it one of those like cool, because like, I've never seen it written. Is it one of those like cool new age things where they get rid of the E? No,
1: you guys, cl- clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know some of those words <laughs> yeah basically <Wesley laughs> describes the type of sequence of the RNA, yeah. So this is must
0: be like this is like the most exciting thing happening right now. Because-
1: it, oh, it really is. I mean, it really is. It's one of those things where it sort of comes out of nowhere. It's like somebody discovered this CRISPR system, and then the full implications of it became apparent very, very quickly. And you're like, "Holy shit, really? This they could do this now?" And then the the this, we're on the steep part of the curve. So it's like every month, it's like, "Oh, we made it better, and we've made it even better, and now it's even more specific, and now we could do this. Now we could dial up and down." like how specific versus error prone it is and versus how quick it is and now we could do it to RNA instead of just DNA. So it's like wow, it's like it's still changing rapidly and, and evolving and this technology is off the hook. It really is one of those things that's like just suddenly changing the world. And I don't think it's really fully penetrated the public consciousness yet, but believe me, scientists are aware of how transformative, how disruptive this is. How much of your day do you have scheduled to read? Uh, it's basically whenever I'm not working, you know i I'm just reading all the time that's one of the good things about digital technology. I always have my phone with me, my iPad, my computer, whatever. Mm-hmm. If I have during lunch, if I have fifteen minutes between patients and I'm not doing anything else, I could pull up an article and read it. so that's I pretty much have to do it all the time to try to keep up with everything, or you can be like me
0: and uh, and not read at all. I mean that's good too, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, look, let's listen to some more music and uh, keep this thing going here. So, here's a neat one from uh, Takuro Spirit. And uh, one of my listeners sent me a link to this artist, and uh, I thought this was pretty cool. This is Let You Go featuring Kate Brady by Takuro Spirit. Go featuring Kate Brady, and that's uh, that's a neat one, I dig that, and that is brought to you by my lovely uh, Patreon supporters. There's Skywolf with the 777, and then there's my Donation of the Beast guys. I'm not going to play the jingle this week, but uh, you know what it's about. Uh, these are all the awesome listeners who donate 666 because they are compelled by dark forces. There's Rob Dyson. Well, that's an upgrade, right? Rob Dyson has upgraded his support and become a donor of the beast. So thanks, Rob. I think he got mad at me because I said I didn't like the Goonies, but uh, I'm not uh, I'm not changing my opinion. But I do thank you for supporting the show. And then there's Street Cleaner, Orlando, Rodriguez Neef, Moose Nux, Till Wild, Straylight, Carm, Lucas Ceballos, and Renton Brax. And uh, maybe we'll throw a thank you to Polar Wildcat Studios in there, too. Thanks, guys, for supporting Beyond Synth. And we are back with Dr. Stephen Novella, the host of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And um, I wanted to talk about this a bit. Because, like, in my social circle, there still seems to be people who, you know, pick and choose the science that they like and and don't like. I mean, that seems to also, like conspiracy theory, almost fall under political lines. Yeah. I'm seeing that happen lately, too, uh, in terms of, you know, you've got people complaining that, you know, like, oh, the conservatives don't like global warming. And then now, like, with the far left... Uh, people don't seem to like genetic science too much and gender stuff and you know right. it's like people seem to pick and choose the science they like and don't like And but GMO seems to be a thing that I end up having conversations with people about and I never cared My dad would always be like trying to tell me about the dangers of GMOs. And for some reason, this topic never... I never felt the threat of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say, like, I was so clever and I knew about the science. like I I just didn't care. For some reason, this topic didn't interest me. Yeah, it just wasn't on your radar. So there's there's some things that um, when I have these conversations, I don't necessarily have all the tools to properly articulate why GMOs aren't as evil as people seem to think they are. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because... I knew I was, I was going to maybe mention it to you. And I went to one of those, I think the first site that, you know, you type in GMO on Google and the first one you get is like the anti-GMO project or something. What I've been doing lately is I'll actually just read, you know, like when someone just posts a link or you'll see it on your social media and they'll say, oh, look at this horrible thing. And they'll summarize an article, but then they'll post the link. And so I do the stupid thing of actually clicking on the link. Yeah. And then I'll start to read and go this article doesn't say what you think it says. Like, I always end up going like, people are posting shit all the time, and so even on the anti-GMO page... So this was one of the paragraphs, all right? It literally says, it's like, because GMOs are novel life forms, biotechnical companies have been able to obtain patents to control the use of their, you know, engineered seeds. And as a result, companies that make GMOs have the power to sue farmers, right? And that sounds horrible because if pollen drifts on their fields, they can sue them for using their seeds. So then I click on the link though, and the article that they link to is this article that says there was this court battle that's basically Monsanto says they're not going to sue anybody right like that was what they linked to they say this thing and how it's just like this dire threat and then they put po- the, in the very article they post to because i feel like you can say something in an article and as long as you have that little tiny number next to it like uh gmos will make your head explode and then have a little five and then you have to go down to the bottom of the web page where the five is to then click on the link that's associated with it yeah and then it'll be an article that doesn't even talk about heads exploding but it's like i think people just assume that if there is a um right what's that called a reference or whatever that reference that they've done their homework so i don't need to click on that link and so i did and i'm like well this thing says they're not going to sue anybody like and then they say it was hypothetical or whatever but the one thing that people seem to say to me is the to do with pesticides yeah and so that's been like the main or one of the main things to do with, they're saying modified crops have like a herbicide tolerance and they need stronger. And then they talk about Roundup and, uh, yeah, what's the What's the shit? The, the, um, glyphosate glyphosate. Yeah. And then, and then they talk about
1: super weeds and super bugs. So what is the deal with that? The short answer is it's all bullshit. It's all a made up narrative as a hit job against GMOs because it's a way for the organic industry to promote themselves, they say, oh, you should be afraid of GMOs and you can avoid GMOs by buying organic. This is it. That is their narrative. That is their marketing strategy. And it's working fabulously, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But the entire narrative is built on lies. It's just all, none of it is true. If you click through to those links and you follow through to primary sources, you find that none of it is true. They're building this narrative out of misdirection and half-truths and lies. And and whatnot. So like for example, they want to say GMOs equal pesticides, or the you know, GMOs are for increasing the use of pesticides. It's not true. First of all, GMO is a te- you know, genetic modifications of technology. You can do it, use it to do a host of things. And there are genetically modified organisms that are for increasing nutrition, or for resisting viruses, or resisting fungus, or you know to slow browning, or to be drought tolerant, whatever. They're not. They're not all for for herbicide resistance or for or to contain pesticides. Those were some of the first. Applications that that were widely adopted, but that's not you can't equate that with genetic modification. They say, okay, well, all right, but those particular GMOs are about increasing pesticides. Like, okay, well, let's do a deeper dive there. First of all, if you look at crops that use uh, genetic modification. You know, GMO crops versus farming without GMO, GMOs have actually overall decreased pesticide use, not increased its use. It has increased the use of glyphosate specifically because there are glyphosate-resistant crops. That's the whole point is to use glyphosate with those particular crops. But here's the thing, the pesticides that glyphosate is replacing were more toxic than glyphosate. So the overall pesticide toxicity has decreased dramatically because glyphosate is one of the least toxic herbicides, and it's it's replacing more toxic herbicides. Further, you have to say, okay, what's the options for weed control if we're not going to use herbicides? And I'm not saying that we should rely solely on herbicides we the standard recommendation is to use uh, integrated pest management you use a host of strategies that take a lot of things into consideration but gmos are just one piece to this armamentarium that we have if the other options none of them are great either you know tilling the soil releases carbon into the atmosphere and takes it out of the soil that's not a good thing that's mm-hmm. bad for the soil it's bad for the for the environment what are you going to pay people to hand pull weeds that's not great either. I mean, that's cost prohibitive for our for massive crops because the organic industry wants to convince the public that we could have these small local farms, you know, that don't use industrial farming and don't use this and don't use that. The bottom line is we cannot feed the world that way. Mm-hmm. Cannot even at, at its best, organic farming uses twenty percent more land than conventional farming and. Pretty much all the arable land in the world is used for growing crops. About half, half the land on the earth is used to growing crops. There isn't 20% more land to have. And in fact, we're trying to really reduce our land use because it's bad for the environment. So organic farming would be a massive net negative on the environment. And they know this, but what they really want is population control billions of people would have to starve and they know it and some of them are okay with it they're like yeah you know people are have a too big of a footprint on this planet and if, it, if we, we should go to these methods of farming, uh, first of all, they're not better for the environment. So that's a, it's a double lie. They say it's better for the environment, but actually it isn't. It's worse for the environment. But they've convinced some environmentalists that, well, it's good for the environment and we should do it even though we can't feed everybody this way. That's okay because populate, we're overpopulated anyway without really explicitly making the connection. So you're saying you want millions or billions of people to starve to death. But that's at the heart of their philosophy. That is really, whether they go that far or not, that you, There's just no escaping that. The fact is we need to farm efficiently, sustainably, using every technology we have at our disposal in an integrated, intelligent way. And, you know, the other narrative is ideological. It's narrow. It's unscientific. And they limit their choices based upon this appeal to nature ideology and marketing. And it may be appealing to some segments of the population, but it's based on a lot of baseless fears and the implications are truly horrendous. Even evil, you know, it's one of the few things where you could say, yeah, you know what? They're willing to let millions of kids go blind and die in Africa because they're unwilling to let genetic modification have one in the wind column. That's evil. I'm sorry. Mm. E- even the former president of Greenpeace was like, holy shit, I have to totally part ways with Greenpeace over this. We're talking about like yellow rice, like genetically modifying rice so that it has vitamin a you know precursors as another method of mitigating vitamin a deficiency which leads to blindness and death and mainly in developing countries and the the real rabid anti-gmo fanatics like nope you can't do this because it's unnatural and it's bad but basically they're condemning millions of kids to blindness and death for ideology Mm -hmm. that's what it really comes down to and those even on the environmental left who really see that are like, holy shit, this is the wrong man. We are on the wrong side of this one and we have to break with it. Hopefully we're making some progress in getting this message out because it really is. The anti-GMO side is entirely built on misinformation and misdirection and logical fallacies. And if all you have to do is get somebody's attention for long enough to walk them through it and there's really no other conclusion you can come to. Are you suggesting then that
0: these poor people cannot afford a $10 head of lettuce?
1: Yeah, right. It's It's like their answer is let them eat cake it's just like why don't they grow their own vegetables because they're freaking living in the desert I mean come on (laughs) if they could just grow carrots they would be yeah I mean, stop it. That's not the solution. We're talking about millions of people who who are living on staple foods that don't have all the nutrients they want. And we have programs to distribute food and to distribute vitamin A, you know, vitamins. And we're trying to use these other methods and they're helping to some extent, but it's still leaving millions of kids to fall through the cracks. And we want to cover those cracks with yet another tool Mm. that we have. (laughs) And all we have to do is use it. And you're depriving them of it because of in this ideological... uh, opposition to this technology that's based on bullshit that's what it comes down to man i do enjoy
0: um the gmo sticker on foods where it doesn't matter this, this was made without gmos and you're holding a thing like what does this have to do with gmos water like like,
1: non-gmo water yeah, Non-GMO <laughs> water, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh well here's some non-gmo music we can uh, we can listen to uh this is uh, fractal man And uh, this is a neat one. This is The Javelin That Pierces the Sky by Fractal Man. With the javelin that pierces the sky. Uh, and that's a cool track. And that was brought to you by my lovely $5 Patterson's. There's Ethan Hennings, Sven Bomanis, CityBat, Christopher Albert, Daniel Dexius, Star Nomad, Michelle Vasquez, Tim Ross, Neon Knox, Jared Glenn, Damian Rudies, Ross Pentland, Halla, Phil Clothier, and Lee McConnell. Thank you all for your support. And we are back with Dr. Stephen Novella. And uh, we're talking about GMOs, so I imagine I'll have some listeners mad at me, but, but what I find interesting is, you know, this distinction that's made with the technique of genetic modification when... You know, a lot of the fruits and stuff we eat have been, you know, manipulated way before this technology was around. So, you know, a lot of the fruits we eat are not the
1: original untampered organisms to begin with. None of it is. Only raspberries, you know, that's it. The only like, seriously, for whatever reason, the only food that you eat that has not been massively, dramatically altered by genetic manipulation is like raspberries and game that you kill. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it. Everything else has been altered genetically beyond recognition using you know either breeding techniques or forced hybridization or even get this mutation farming. So organic farmers are okay using seeds that were produced by radioactivity, by radioactively exposing seeds so that they'll mutate faster you know, hundreds of genes are mutating and then they try to pick the ones that have the fortuitous, you know, beneficial effects. Right. That's okay. That's okay. But changing one gene that ain't natural. That's not good. That's you know not organic. <laughs> the other thing is the, the patent issue is a total red herring. Guess what? All seeds are patented. Most seeds that are like 99% of crop seeds that are not GMOs are hybrids. And hybrids are patented and you can't replant them. So that's a complete diversion. Mm -hmm. It's a non-issue. It's not unique to GMOs. So that's all bullshit, but it sells well. You know, these are good slogans. Like you shouldn't patent life. Well, tell that to every other seed maker in the (laughs) world. Because it's that's what's happening for the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. And, And what's people who don't understand farming, who don't understand the agriculture industry. Are getting, you know, on their high horse about, oh, we have to protect these poor farmers. The farmers, like, screw you. We know what we're doing. Mm. You know, we're we're buying these seeds because we make more money when we do that. We're not rubes. Mm. You know, we actually understand our own industry. Thank you. You don't need, you know, somebody who's never stepped foot on a farm to tell us, you know, how to run our business. But people are saying ridiculously naive things like, "Oh, you shouldn't patent seeds." Come on. That you have no idea what the industry's like if you make a statement like that. But that's what the rank and file anti-GMO person says because that's what they're told. That's the propaganda. They've been so thoroughly propagandized that that's what they think they know. Mm -hmm. They think that Monsanto is suing farmers for seed blowing on their, their field. It's never happened. It's never happened. And not only that, but the organic food lobby sued Monsanto preemptively Mm -hmm. saying they're going to sue our farmers for their seeds blowing onto their farms. And the court was like, okay, show us a case where it's ever happened. And they couldn't do it in a court of law. They inadvertently proved that their own propaganda was bullshit Mm -hmm. because they couldn't come up with a single case where it actually happened. Right. It's a myth. It's total mythology. And that's what the whole anti-GMO movement is. So you're pro-GMO? Is that what you're saying? It's a technology. (laughs) I'm pro-science, man. It's a a scientific technology. Mm. It is actually very safe. But each genetically modified organism needs to be evaluated on its own merits. You can't give any blanket approval or disapproval to genetically modified organisms. It all depends upon what it is. What's the change that they made? What was the result? How has it been studied? The ones that are currently on the market are fine because there's a very high bar. To getting on the market, but you can't condemn the technology as a whole. That makes absolutely no sense. You can only talk about it organism by organism.
0: Yeah, it's it's the blanket statements I see lately that you know frustrate me because I just prefer nuanced thinking. Sure, you know? like when I see people discuss topics of any kind, it's like um, you know even when it comes to things like censorship and comedy, you know, where someone will make a joke that's offensive, and then and then and then there'll be this blanket statement of like, well, you can't joke about this particular topic and i'm always sitting there like no you will judge joke by joke you yeah. know what i mean like because you never know context is everything absolutely and that applies to like the science as well it's like yeah it's, what is the exact specific thing we're complaining about here like not the the overarching story that you've prepared like what is the actual thing that is the problem here and like really focus in and, yeah like if someone makes a fucking tomato with like an a knife in it that wants to kill you then yeah like it's a weird idea yeah. but like if it's a a nice
1: yeah. round tasty tomato then it's probably fine and there's no gmo tomatoes on the market i don't know why that's the poster child for gmos there's not a single gmo tomato on the market you know what i think
0: it is there was a simpsons episode a yeah that was past when simpsons was good but i remember i remember that one sticking out to me and i think everyone has that in their head but that was mutation
1: farming that was mutation farming that's exactly what organic farmers allow that right think about that he spread radioactivity on the field and grew all kinds of weird shit that's actually organic yeah 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 that's not gmo you know what idea that i thought was
0: exciting but then got shit on and I, I don't remember what the actual problem was was solar roadways when i first saw the idea for solar <laughs> roadways i stupid
2: that's the problem
0: but what what's the deal like cuz i thought it was like I, whenever i saw solar roadways i'm like man that that is a really great idea but then i remember i listened to a few episodes of skeptic's guide i think after it had already been Discussed as being silly, yeah. it was just an accepted idea that, like, yeah. And then there's those stupid solar roadways because, <laughs> like I said, I, I joined the show late and went
1: backwards. It's great. That's that, that's a that's a fun one because it's it, the you know the stakes are a lot lower, but it, it's fantastic because like the solar frequent freaking roadways, it's all hype. And you kind of look at it like, yeah, that's a cool idea. Imagine if all of our, if everything they said were true, it would be kind of cool. But you have the devil's in the details, man. When you actually look at it, like, okay, so how expensive would it be to make these solar tiles so that you could drive on them? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, prohibitive. I see, and the efficiency (laughs) would be crap. Oh, so, I mean, the details just don't pan out, you know? And then they they have this grand concept without doing the busy work of actually proving their basic principles. And then when they try to do that, it utterly fails. Mm. So it's the sexy kind of idea superficially, but when you look at it in detail, it's like, oh, it's actually a stupid idea. Oh, because the
0: idea was so cool. Like, when they showed, you know, where it was, like, the road and it was going to light up so you wouldn't need to paint the road and they could, like... Arrows could appear in the ground to redirect traffic and it was absorbing all this sunlight.
1: It's all about, it comes down to cost and, and you know, and practicability. So, you know, the other thing is why would we do that before we have solar panels on every rooftop in the country? Sure. Yeah, that's the other thing is pick the low-hanging fruit first. Mm-hmm. I think that if anyone bothers to bring that technology to fruition, it will have a niche application. Like, for example, maybe... It would be cost effective to have it on your driveway.
0: Right, yeah, yeah.
1: Where it could actually melt the ice on your driveway, for example, or on, on a parking lot or something, or on a playground, or there might be apple or on a sidewalk or something. But on a, on a major road where trucks are going to be driving over it and you're going to have to plow it or whatever, you know, the things did not hold up to the punishment. And that's the, that was the limiting factor. Sometimes there's just a fatal flaw in an idea. Mm. You know, and this is I think just one of those ideas that has a fatal flaw. It sucks, man. I loved that idea. Like I loved it. I loved the heated driveway with lights. I was there. Yeah. When I first saw it, I'm like, yeah, if if it all works out the way they're saying, that would be kinda cool. But you gotta, man, you gotta look at those details. The details matter. Does it end up being like two grand for like a foot by foot tile or something? Like It's a boondoggle, that's the problem, you know? It's just, it's like, why don't we have a flying car? Look, flying cars are an awesome idea. I'd love to, to, to go to work in a flying car. They would be incredible. <laughs> never going to happen. Not with any extrapolation of current technology. Just the math is getting in the way. Just the, the cost of carrying around your fuel or the energy is just prohibitive. Mm-hmm. It's just so much more efficient, energy efficient to roll a car on the ground than it is to keep it suspended against gravity. It's never going to be cost effective. Again, with any extrapolation of our current technology, the math just doesn't work. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and I hate that because they're sexy. I'd love to have a flying car, mm. but I have to realize that it's just not. I'm not in my lifetime. It's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, we're not going to see the whole Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, Blade Runner was a cool fucking movie. Did you like the new one? Loved it. I loved. It. I know not everyone. Not everyone loved it, but because it was slow. But I loved that movie. Well, that that to me was when I'm thinking about Star Wars, how I felt walking out of the cinema in Star Wars, and how I felt when I saw Blade Runner, a movie that shouldn't have a sequel. So, like, that was a thing, like, watching the film was just, Blade Runner, I mean, took me a while just to get used to the fact that, like, this is Blade Runner Part 2. Like, what a weird time in movies right now that there's, like, a sequel to Blade Runner. Yeah. But that, to me, was, like, a damn near flawless sequel. That goes up in history as like one of the good, like the six good sequels ever made, or however you know. There's not many, but like, right, right. You know, it's, it's
1: up there with Terminator Two and Aliens, and it was luxurious. You know, yes, it. You know, you had to be ready for a slow movie, and if you were expecting a nonstop edge of your seat action flick, you were going to be disappointed. But if you if you're prepared for the kind of movie it was, and you just enjoy it for what it is. Again, forget about what it isn't. Just enjoy that movie for what it is. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. The plot was great. I mean, it, it was you know i was thinking through the whole movie it was like really challenging my sense of what was going on and what the characters were doing and it was one of those movies where you're thinking about it afterwards and you're seeing these connections and you could really appreciate the artistry in it Mm -hmm. i just loved it i really did yeah no
0: it was fantastic like it's (laughs) it was so good um and and on that note let's uh listen to some cool music all right this is cj burnett with the track west side drive Side Drive by CJ Burnett. And that was brought to you by uh my lovely $5 Patterson's. There's zycorax Brad Neiman, Face Hugger, Marco Cranendon, Corey Valentine, Timothy Pierce, Starlight Fisher, Barons of Santa Carla, Rawl pud and Tristan Waits. Uh, thank you guys for your support. And if you want to help them out, Help them out, help me out, and uh, support Beyond Synth. It's uh, patreon.com slash beyondsynth, and I am here right now with uh, Dr. Stephen Novella, the host of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and I talked to you earlier about, you know, discovering your show and uh, dipping into the back catalog, and I just had a weird question, and I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but obviously, like, when you guys started The Skeptic's Guide... I mean, it's you and it's a few of your brothers, and there was this dude called Perry yep. who was there, and, and, and he uh, passed away, sadly, like a few years into doing the show. Yeah, two years ago. He ahead. seemed to be, I mean, not to get political, but he, he seemed to be like the sort of the voice of, he was more right, I imagine. Yep, that's true. Uh, in the way that he talked about things. So I was always curious if you've ever thought, like, if he was still around, do you think there is any... Topics that he would have shifted on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've thought about that a lot. What What would Perry? Because Perry was such a big figure, mm-hmm. you know, in, in so many ways, and he was a huge part, you know, of all of our lives. And it's it's impossible not to think, what would Perry think of Trump?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, one thing that he was that I was working on him about was that he was he was tribal. Mm-hmm. Perry would pick his team, and man, he would stand by his team. He was a Yankee fan. Damn it, he was a Yankee fan, mm-hmm. and that was just the way it is. He enjoyed doing that, and he, he was he was conscious of it to some extent. But he's like, "Yeah, this is my this is my side. This is my team." And that was it. Well, I think he would be having a really hard time. But I, it's fascinating me to think about where he would be on certain issues, you know, ten years down the road, and how he would be reacting to all the the, the politics that have played out. In the last 10 years, I I don't know, I I can't really predict, but it's fascinating to think about because he was kind of a complicated mix. He was a very smart guy. He was a good skeptic. He had some strong political views. And the world is a different place now than it was when he died Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, you know.
0: You know, I, I listened to some of those episodes, you know, recently, like it was like two years ago when I discovered the show. And oftentimes when I find a new podcast or something I like, I'll listen to a few of the new ones and go, okay, I'm going to go back and see how this thing all started. And so obviously global warming was his big, Yeah. you know, that, that seemed to be the one where you guys would sort of butt heads the most. But and I mean, a lot's happened in the past 10 years to, you know, more, more studies have been done and stuff like that. And so it was interesting to think about. I was just like, you know, I wonder if.
2: Yeah,
1: I agree. I don't have any answers. Yeah. yeah. that's <laughs> part of the loss when you lose somebody, you know, their 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 narrative ends, their thread ends and I don't know how Perry would Perry would have evolved with the times over the last, you know, 10, 11 years.
0: It's so important though like I was thinking about that I mean a lot of the people I've been like in the past year especially there's been a lot more you know public discussions with interesting people about the topic of just free speech in general and yeah what you know what is important and you know there's lots of people I, I mean I just watched the you know, Michael Shermer. what does he do? Yeah he does Skeptic Magazine Skeptic yeah. Magazine right you know so I'm seeing him chat with people like you know Jordan Peterson and other people like this who and what I'm noticing now is just the importance of just having people around you that come from all those different sides, like why it's important. Even like a year ago, two years ago, I would have been one of those people that would have been happy to isolate myself into, like I said, when I was blocking people and unfollowing people who are posting conspiracy stuff, like, you know, this idea that I was going to close off and just be like, I'm happy with just my little bubble of people who say all the things that I like. And it's only been in the past little while that I'm starting to fully come to the the appreciation that no, 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 it's actually really important to have all of those
1: those vo I mean not stupid people, but then at the same time Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a line, but yeah, I hear you. I mean the skeptical community is really going through this a lot because, you know, we had our honeymoon phase after social media hit where we celebrated what we had in common we we're all critical thinkers we love science you know we want to promote science and skepticism and secularism as well and it was great you know that that we celebrated what unified us but then people are freaking people mm-hmm. and it, we started to divide along those things which divide us because there are liberals and libertarians and you know whatever in the skeptical movement and and people started to fracture along those old ideological lines incredibly disappointing mm-hmm. you know you would think of there's any group of people who could rise above ideology and skeptics but nope not at all yeah <laughs> we, we, Totally isolated ourselves along those kind of lines. The SGU has always tried to be neutral, right? We don't align with any sub faction within the skeptical movement. We're just like, no, we're just going to keep promoting science and critical thinking and say it like it is, say it like we see it, not choose sides or choose factions. And we actively resist that. Although everyone wants us to choose a side every time. It's like, yeah, we just, that's not what we're about. You know, that's not what we do. We're trying to enthuse people about science and critical thinking, not tweet. Their ideology, you know, that's not what we're about. Yeah, what, what I notice
0: is, because I, I I, I notice that when I watch um, clever people who talk, right? So you know, with your show, yeah. you guys you know what you're talking about. You research. You you talk about you know new science stories, and I think there's always this idea that people always want to claim. The people that they admire is one of theirs, right? It's always disappointing yeah. when there's an actor yeah. you really like and then you find out they're yeah. a secret prick or something. Yeah. There's always this tinge of like, oh man, I thought we could be best buddies or whatever, you know, and clearly people are people and they all have their, their own ways of thinking, but there's always that thing where you're happy when you see, you know, a famous person that you like go on
1: TV and say a thing that you agree with. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to, we have to learn how to disagree again. Like it's okay that we don't all agree on everything. You know? I think
0: right now there's this idea that there's a, there's this like with us against us, thing that everyone has it's like you're either 100 yeah, percent everyone's a purist and it's frustrating because like I-, I found in the past year that i've formed weird friendships with people who i would have normally never had anything in common with but i'm like but we have one thing in common you know maybe yeah maybe maybe we talk with each other about like free speech issues but everything else we have not in common right but but we agree with the idea right. that we should be able to have these types of conversations so it's like, okay, well, that's something, right? Like, why would I push yeah. this person aside as an enemy when we do agree on something? And the the show that I do is mainly fluff, but what I find is I talk to a whole bunch of different people, and, you know, if we keep the topic on movies and video games, we're cool. You know, it's all good. I mean, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. if someone's just, like, right. wants to start talking about abortion or something, I'm like, whoa, well, okay, no, let's not go there, because then we might have a fight, but, like... Hey, man, we all like playing Mortal Kombat, so let's all talk about that. Or we want to talk about VR or something? Cool, man. It's cool with me. and Yeah. And I think that's the thing, right? It's cool to just pick your people, but it's always good to have all those voices. I was just thinking about that because Perry said, I think, still the funniest thing that's ever been said on your show. And the other day, I went and listened back to the episode where you were playing some clips And I literally moved my cursor right to the line because I wanted to remember what it was. And I knew it had something to do with an angstrom. And I literally put the episode in, because I have psychic powers, obviously. Mm -hmm. I went to iTunes, clicked on the exact episode randomly. Like, I just scrolled up and said, like, I think it must have been in 20, whatever year it was, like, I guess. And And I clicked on the right episode, and then I scrolled through the episode and got to the right line. But it was in response to, I think your brother Bob was making fun of him. Because uh, they were discussing the size of an angstrom, and he's just like, and he's just like, yeah, Perry, how big's an angstrom, huh? And then Perry's like, an angstrom is about the size of your phallus. Yeah, and I just remember, like, just. That still is like I think like the best line
1: from the show, like it's such a great <laughs> that was Perry, yeah <laughs> now he I, Perry Perry was incredibly witty and also completely uninhibited mm-hmm. yeah, and, and and you guys got the filter version of Perry, yeah, I always edit out all the good stuff because it's over the line, you know? yeah, 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 we still have it in the archives, but uh yeah, but you know, Perry was a funny mofo, absolutely <laughs> Perry had a talent Perry's Perry could insult you and you wouldn't you would take it like you'd be you know what i mean like you had a way of insulting people that you didn't get offended by it (laughs) well that's a good skill to have it was yeah
0: (laughs) well uh look let's listen to another song and uh, then i can uh, let you get back to uh important business uh, as it were but uh here's a track from meteor uh off the inner demon album and this is of steel and stone (laughs) by Meteor from the Inner Demon album and that was brought to you by my lovely $5 Pattersons. There's Dana Jean Phoenix, Stu and en- Night Raptor, the Rosconian, Simon Norberg, Matthew Lister, Dougie Fresh, Bobby B, Cunning Corvid, Roman, Joe and Lando, and Kai. Thank you all for supporting Beyond Synth. And uh, we're back here with Dr. Stephen Novella, the host of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And uh, I guess we can sort of wind this down here, uh, but I want to. Just uh, thank you for uh, chatting here today, man. That's been a lot of fun. Is there like anything right now that's exciting you, skeptic-wise? Is that a weird question? It's a very vague question.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always so many things, you know, that we're dealing with. Fucking what's-his-face just launched a rocket into space with a dummy in a car. Yeah, there's a a Tesla orbiting the Earth now. (laughs) Yeah, we just, you know, we're, we're nerds. We like technology. We like science. We like critical thinking. We like science fiction. It's all good.
0: Like, I was watching a Bigfoot documentary on Netflix, and I always assumed... I mentioned this on my show before, but like I always assumed that people believed in Bigfoot for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I I was giving them that much credit in my head. Just like, oh, they've got some evidence, and that's why, and and, uh, I think it's a silly thing. But there's people out there who have very valid reasons for believing in Bigfoot. And then you watch a Bigfoot documentary, and then you're like... They don't have anything. They don't have anything, yeah. Nothing, though. Like, nothing. I watched this one where these dudes literally talked about a broken tree for 20 minutes because it was broken in a funny way, like a thin tree in the middle of the forest was like broken at the wrong height. That was part of the documentary. It was a 20-minute discussion of how could this tree have possibly broken in this way if it weren't for Bigfoot. It was just this moment where this light bulb just went off in my head, and I was just like... So what? Like this? Literally, just insane people, right? Who have nothing? Yeah. So
1: I definitely like the last twenty years of investigating the paranormal and the supernatural. That's one of the the big lessons that I learned is that they never have anything compelling. It's always a lot dumber than you think. And basically, <laughs> they got they got nothing. Mm-hmm. They got nothing, and every every single time I've gone into an investigation of a person, a topic, a claim, or whatever, thinking, "Oh, they gotta really prepare for this, man. They're gonna like come at like, like we investigated the Warrens, who were like the biggest ghost hunters ever in the world, or whatever." And then when you you get in there and you get to the end of it, you're like, "Holy shit, they got nothing. Mm-hmm. They really have nothing. They're just dumb." <laughs> that's that's just what it comes down to every single time. I've never been even remotely impressed or challenged by anything in the paranormal realm, mm-hmm. you know, ghosts, channeling, whatever it's all crap yeah 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 it's like wow they're just it's just its just childish it's all just childish i know it sounds really dismissive but i'm telling you that's what it that's what every single time that's what i find yeah and i think i've just been giving them way too much credit yeah like my whole
0: life i'm just like whenever someone's just like oh i have a ghost story and you're always just thinking like oh well that's really spooky because they are spooky like when people tell me ghost stories i get spooked out and then when you find out like the the details it just half the time i'm like you sure you're just wearing not asleep or something are you sure you're just not relaying a dream to me yeah right or or something, because, it, like, it, that's what it always ends up being. Like, someone will tell you they've had this crazy experience, and then they finally tell you what it is, and it's like... Yeah. I walked in the room, and the
1: lights shut off. I'm like, okay... Like, Sweet. It's always a lot dumber than you think because that's because I think partly is we, we grew up on movies mm-hmm. and everything is so dramatized, cool and dramatic in the movies and then reality TV is kind of doing the same thing and making everything so, so dramatic but when in reality, everything is mundane and stupid. You know, that's just the disconnect between this fantasy life that we live on and reality. You know, there aren't any intellectual, real scientific people out there exploring the paranormal and finding it. it's not that it doesn't exist. It's not out there. It's, it's children running around pretending to do science who have no idea what they're doing or con artists whose marks are really gullible mm-hmm. and they don't have to be impressive. That's what's out there. There's nothing impressive out there. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I've noticed, it's, it's people who have that
0: mindset. Like there was this show that was on this learning network and my wife was t- telling me it was on in the other room. She's like, oh, you know, they, they, de- they debunk ghost stories and, and paranormal stuff. I'm like... All right, do they debunk them, or are these guys also just believers and they're pretending to be debunkers? Because usually TV shows, they're never real debunkers, right? Like, they're always fools. And so, sure enough, I watched this stupid video. I forget what the show is called, but it's like six idiots who uh, investigate things, and they try and recreate them to prove the validity of them, but they do a really bad job. Right. And it was literally like they're showing you this footage of some Mexican uh, news anchor lady. And in the background, you see this alien that is very clearly CGI, horrible 1996 level CGI. And they're like, we're going to talk to the man who did this and confront him and see if it's a fake. And then the guy says, yeah, it's a fake. I did it. It's a joke. And you would think the story would end there. Like any reasonable person would be like, oh, well, obviously this is the end of our you know investigation. Right. But then to prove that they're not actual debunkers, they're like... Well, why would anyone believe your story? Is that because uh, there's a lot of UFO sightings in this area? And like, yes, that's why. And then they then they go on this stupid thing. They're like, look at look at the storms off the water. Uh, what do you think about that? And then one of the members of the crew is like, yes, I, I imagine that an alien ship would travel and then use the lightning storms to recharge. And then everyone's nodding like that's a sensible thing that person just said. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, what kind yeah, of fucking idiots is. are these people that like?
1: It's just pure fantasy. That's the level that you're dealing with all the way through. There are no adult experts. You know what I mean? Who like really know what they're talking about? It's <laughs> it's childish all the way down. I've never twenty years been. I've been looking for a serious you know case, and it's all nonsense all the way down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's awesome. Anyways, man, listen. Yeah,
0: uh, thank you for your time. I uh, hope you get some time in to read some news stories. And sure, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Do your editing and all that stuff. But uh, good luck. Good luck. What am I doing? <laughs> 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 I'm not great at ending conversations. But it was it was great to talk to you. And people should listen to your show. You know, it's uh, it's where I get my science news, and I found it to be uh, really useful. So you know, uh, thanks thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, and that was my conversation with Dr. Steven Novella. It's always cool when you get to talk to people who you listen to frequently because I think podcasts in some way are like a more intimate sort of form of entertainment. I mean, even on this show, obviously we have a much smaller audience here than they do on the Skeptics Guide, but I think it's that same thing where, you know, week to week I'm sitting there talking with people and we're you know, we just chatting like we're just like pals sitting around a table or something. It's like you know the people and, you know, it's like you're friends with the people who are on the show and you want to be a part of the conversation and so that's kind of like what it was when I was uh, talking to Steve because, you know, I listen to the show all the time, and uh, and so it's it's interesting when you're having a conversation with someone and, like, their voice sounds exactly the same as it does on the show, and it's like, hey, I'm in, I'm in the show, man. Like, this is cool. Um, Anyway, so that was a lot of fun, and uh, that's all I got to say. So thanks for listening to the show. Tune in next week, where I'll be catching up with Marco and Florence, and this is exciting. We don't have any pre-taped segments, so I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Normally, I have, like, a few weeks planned and ahead, but uh, this week, I don't. So this will be exciting for... Uh, uh, both of us so uh tune in next time to be on synth the best synth music chat show there is um i probably should have <laughs> ended that with the intonation as if i was ending a sentence uh, <laughs> the best chat show there is
2: superb flawless <laughs> victory thanks for listening Thanks for listening to Beyond Synth. If you would like to support Beyond Synth, please visit patreon.com forward slash beyondsynth. And don't forget to check out Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Instagram. If you want to submit your music for the show, please email
0: it to beyondsynth at gmail.com. Have a lovely day.